0: Good morning, Longview Point Faith Family and guests. Um, you know, I, I go into a lot of churches uh, that, by virtue of the way the folks sing and the musical worship team sing, that I'm not convinced that they mean what they say. Um, but I think you folks mean it. Um, you y'all y'all are a blessing to sing with and be led by and congregation, musical worship leaders and. Uh, uh, pastor you're, you''re you're a blessed man man uh, so this is this has been cool so thank you for letting me be a part I want to say that to your pastor to Jason um, and uh, all of you uh, this I know this is an important week uh, and it's an honor uh, for me to be a be a part of it I'm grateful uh, for that I heard the rush of enthusiasm that swept across the congregation a moment ago when it was announced that a seminary professor was going to be talking to you this morning and so I pray that God doesn't let me live up to that reputation you know so mark chapter 7 in your bible is, uh, i want to ask you to open to that place um, and uh, find mark's gospel second book in the new testament uh, second major division in your bible If you came in today and don't have a copy of the Bible, I hope there's someone sitting close to you that does, and maybe you could look real lonely uh, to your right or left, and they'll let you look on, because I I really want you to help me, to help us hear the voice of God this morning uh, as we come uh, to this this book. I want you to see it as well as to hear it as we study it together. Mark chapter 7, I want to begin reading over you, um, beginning in verse 24. Mark is the human author, but of course he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that makes this God's word for us. Here's what it says, in Mark 7:24. and from there he arose talking about Jesus. He arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and, and didn't want anyone to know. yet he couldn't be hidden. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Theologian Carl F.H. Henry, who's the founding editor of Christianity Today, some of you read that magazine said that the gospel is is only good news if it gets there on time and the gospel's good news right i mean we know that it's what the word means gospel it means good news it's the story of how god left heaven came to earth looking for you and looking for me lived a life that we couldn't live, one that met his standard for getting into heaven, a standard of holiness, and then he died a death all of us should have died when he went to the cross, took your sins and mine. He rose from the dead to put God's life back inside of us. And so when a person puts their faith in Christ... They get their sins forgiven. They get the life of God put back inside of them to be who they were intended to be, who they were created to be. And we get the hope of heaven, right? That's good news. But you know, there's almost 8 billion people on the planet. About 12,000 roughly people groups. About 4.6 million of those people are considered unreached. They haven't been reached with the gospel. It's about about 7,300 of those people groups. Research tells us there are roughly 155,000 people that die every day without the gospel, and about half of those listen to me very carefully, about half of those, die without the gospel, never having heard the gospel. It'd be hard to convince any of those people that the gospel's good news, right? It's only good news if it gets there on time. Jesus wanted his disciples and he wants us as his disciples to know this, to understand it and make sure that the gospel gets there on time. I think this is one of the primary reasons this story is in the Bible. And so here's what I want us to think about. It's nothing new to many of you. But I want us to think about the fact that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to to everybody in every place who would put their faith in Jesus. As simple as that. It's the power of God to salvation for every person in every place who would put their faith in Jesus. This story is in the Bible, at least in large part, because Jesus was wanting to teach his disciples That he was about, in short order, about to to be crucified, to die, to be crucified, to rise from the dead and ascend back to heaven. And he was going to leave that task in their hands. This is a story about that gospel. I think there are probably two primary threads that run through This text. One of them is about the expansion of the gospel. Jesus wants to teach that lesson. He wants to remind us about it today, intends for it to be expanded. But but the other thread is there's a real good example of the faith that it takes to embrace that gospel. And I want you to I want you to know that it's it's a faith that is available to all of those people in every place. So let's look at those two threads. We'll start with the first one the expansion of the gospel. Geography is important in this passage of scripture. And I think that in it that there there is a very real picture of how this gospel is intended for every place and how this gospel is intended for every person. So so look look at the geography here. It says in verse 24 and from there he arose And he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Went away from what? Went away from the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has spent his entire ministry up to this point, his public ministry, his adult life around the Sea of Galilee, which was predominantly, listen to me, predominantly people like him, at least from an ethnic standpoint. There were Jewish people that lived in that area around the Sea of Galilee. This text says Jesus is moving away from this. Before he turns his face to go to Jerusalem, he moves away from that place. And I think in doing so, come in here real close, he he gives an example to his disciples. He's taking on on basically a, a, a road trip seminar. This is a roving classroom that Jesus is on. And one of his goals is to help them to understand this gospel wasn't intended to stay in the place they called home. It wasn't intended to stay with a people like them. He goes away from the Sea of Galilee. Now let me just ask you to visualize this this way, okay? Just work with me here. I want you to just picture this podium or the front of it as if it were the Sea of Galilee, okay? So this is the Sea of Galilee. Let me show you what's happening here. When Jesus moves away from there to, you know, about 25 miles to the northwest. So from where you're looking, it would be up in this direction here. And this is where he's going to encounter these two cities that are, that are part of ancient Phoenicia. But I want you to notice something else. Look ahead down at verse 31. Verse 31, he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. You know where Decapolis is? Well, from where you're sitting, if this is the Sea of Galilee, it's way over here and down here. So here's what's happening. Jesus is moving away from home. He's moving away from the people that are like him in the region where he was from. And where those disciples were from. And he's taking them up in this direction. And then he will ultimately traverse the Sea of Galilee. And he'll come down on this side. This is why Mark says. Goes back to the Sea of Galilee. In the direction of it. Down to that region of the Decapolis. You know what that was? Means ten cities. Ten cities established by the Romans. During their occupation. Common denominator. From here all the way around here. Is one thing. It was all Gentile territory. Everybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. That includes most of us. We'll come back to that here in just a moment. What I want you to see is Jesus is taking his disciples away from their comfort zone. He's taking them away from people who are like them. He's taking them away from places that were foreign to them. And and some Bible scholars believe he spent about eight months on this journey. Over here, northwest, coming back over on the eastern side, all the way down. It's all Gentile territory. You know what Jesus is teaching these guys? This gospel is for every place. It's for every place on the planet. Most of which, listen to me, is not like our place. It's not like our home. It's not like the place where we're from. It's not inhabited by people like we grew up with, we're comfortable with. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's teaching his disciples that in short order, he's gonna hand the mantle to them and they're gonna be responsible for getting the gospel to those places. You see, in one sense, in one sense, we could say that we are the product of this story in the Bible. Amen. You're sitting here today in a crowd this size, I know I can safely say the vast majority of us here, if not all of us, are not ethnic Jews. You know what that makes us? It makes us Gentiles. 2000 years later, we're gathered in a place like this to worship the Lord. You know why? Because ultimately those disciples got it. They learned the lesson that Jesus wanted them to know. And that is that the gospel is for every place. We have a lot of prospective students that come to our, our school, just like every school does. They're checking it out. They're trying to determine what, you know, where they want to go to school. And so one of the things our admissions office does is they, they enlist faculty members to have lunch with groups of, you know, of prospective students that come. A couple of years ago, I was, I was having lunch with a group and we were sitting around the table and just getting to know one another. And, and, uh, they, you know, they can bring family with them when they come and a lot of them do. And, and so we were having lunch, and at one point I, I just asked him, I said, any of you have questions that I might be able to answer, anything that I say? And there was, there was a, a young man there who had his wife, and also her mother was there. I think they had some other family members, but, 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 but his, you know, his mother-in-law was there. And she was one of the first to raise her hand. And so she, she asked me, she said... Do y'all, do y'all have J-terms and do you have summer courses and things like that? And I, I, I thought it was a good question and so I was very excited to answer. I told her about all the formats of classes. We had, schedules, when they were available. Yes, we got J-terms. Yes, we got summer courses. And then when I finished, she said this. She said, well, I was just wanting to know because I, I just want to know how soon they can get through so they can come back home. And I said to her probably what no admissions office of any school ever wants to hear one of their faculty members say. I said, ma'am, am I, gonna I be honest with you and I just need to tell you, we're probably gonna do everything we can to talk them out of doing that. Why? Because the little southern town that you come from is permeated by the gospel. There's churches on every street corner. You can turn on any radio station. You'll hear something about it. It's available on television. You can go to the bookstore and you can get books about it. But the vast majority of the people on the planet don't have access to it. And we want to do everything we can to equip and mobilize our students to take the gospel to them. You see, that's where the rub comes in, long viewpoint. And many of you know this, because I know I'm preaching to the choir. This is your heartbeat, it's your DNA. But I know it's tough. I know it's tough. Because it doesn't play into the convenience of all of us getting to live where our parents live and, 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 and where our grandkids live and, 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 and where there are people that we grew up with. Sometimes God allows that, and certainly there's nothing wrong with it when he does. But this gospel is for every place. And you and I have been left on the planet to make sure it gets there. And sometimes, sometimes that means we got to get out of our comfort zone. We got to stir the pot a little bit. We got to go where there are people that don't look like us and talk like us because the gospel is for every place. But listen to me, it's not just for every place, it's for every person. Jesus goes to this new place and he takes his disciples there intentionally. So they can see that and he encounters this woman who has a daughter who is demon possessed. And this woman, this woman, it's incredible how how she represents what characterizes people that you and I encounter every day as well as people all across the globe. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. I start with one thing that Mark doesn't mention, but Matthew mentions it in his account in Matthew chapter 15. And that is, he tells us this woman was a Canaanite. Now, those of you that have read your Old Testament, that ought to sound familiar, right? You're familiar with the Canaanites. Who were they? They were the people in the land of Canaan, the promised land, that God told to, to wipe out when they went into the promised land. And consequently, the Jewish people always considered the Canaanites people who were cursed by God. That was their perspective. They, they, they were people that God had written off, because after all, he had told them to wipe them out. They didn't do it, but that's what he had told them to do. You, some of you remember a day when you felt like that, Right? You felt like you were beyond hope. You couldn't be saved. God, God had written you off. If you never were at a place where you felt like that, you've talked to people like that. People who feel like they're just cursed by God. Too many bad things have happened. They've done too many things and God's written them off. We live on a planet that is filled with people like that. And yet this is a story, listen to me, where Jesus goes to where this woman is and encounters her. The gospel is for for the curse, but it's not only for the curse, it's for the pagans. You remember where he is, right? Region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were hubs of the worship of false gods. In fact, these, these places were really the home of the worship of a fertility god called Ashtaroth in the Old Testament. Now, we don't know whether this woman was currently involved in that, but what we know is she is part of a people and from a place where that's what happened. And you know, there's, there's a lot of these missionaries that you'll encounter this week and tell you stories about the reality of this Physically as they minister in places and they share the gospel in places where people literally have physical idols that they bow down to, they burn incense to, they worship. But you know, even if that doesn't happen in your world, let me tell you what does happen. Idol worship that is no less serious. Because you see, anywhere there are people who give more time, attention, money to something other than the one true God have idols in their lives. All of us have been there, right? But listen, the gospel is for those people. The gospel is not just for the cursed; it's for the pagans, people that worship idols. This gospel was intended for them. Not just the cursed, not just the pagans, but the gospel is for the inferior. You know, this woman was, was one who was considered inferior. You say, how do you know that? Because she was a woman. She was a woman. Now, let me press pause real quick. And say to you, there is nothing in God's word that would indicate that women are inferior to men according to his creative design. It's Just not true. But that doesn't mean there are not people that treat people as inferior, right? Watch this. Both Jews and Greeks, both Jews and Romans in this day considered women to be inferior to men. No, no Jews, certainly no self-respecting rabbi would encounter a woman in public and have a conversation like this. And we're surrounded by people, are we not? Probably some in this room today who've been made to feel like you are inferior. And that, that's, that's who this woman represents, the cursed, the pagans, the inferior, but also the hopeless. You know, the gospel's for the hopeless. Why was she hopeless? She had a daughter that was demon-possessed. She had a daughter that was demon-possessed in a day that didn't have access to the kind of help that might be out there for special needs children in our day and time, like like we might have in our day and time. You just go over a couple of chapters to chapter 9, there's a really good picture of somebody trying to raise a child that was demon-possessed. There's a man that has a demon-possessed uh, son and, and he says that that, that, that that demon would cause him to foam at the mouth. and makes him become really rigid and, 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 and the demon threw him down and, and, and threw him into convulsions and, and, and he even said that he tries to throw him into the fire and destroy him. And I want you to try to think about what it would be like in that day and time, especially to raise a child that you could never, ever take your eyes off of. For fear that they would either hurt themselves or hurt someone else. She had tried everything. There was no place to go. No help anywhere. You and I encounter every day people who feel like that. They feel like they're trapped. They feel like they've exhausted all of their possibilities. All of their resource. And there's no hope. This planet is filled with people. That are in hopeless situations from a human standpoint. Then I will give you one more, and that is she, this woman. This woman was an outcast, and the gospel is for outcasts. You see it there, down in verse twenty-six. It says she was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. Jews considered the Gentiles to be ceremonially unclean, and because they were ceremonial unclean, they just considered them unclean period. This is where the term shaking the dust off your feet comes from. Jews, after they traveled out of of, of their region into Gentile territory, when they would come back, they would stop at the county line, if you would, the state line, and they would shake the dust off of of their feet for, for fear of bringing impurity back into the holy land. Gentiles are considered to be unclean, people on the outside looking in. And this planet is filled with people that feel like that. They feel like they're on the outside of God's family looking in with no chance. She was an outcast and here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. He encounters this woman who represents The cursed, the pagans, the inferior, the hopeless, the outcast. And he engages her. He engages her with the gospel. And his disciples get to see that he's taking the gospel out of their place. To every other place. And he's taking the gospel away from just their people. Taking it to every people. Beloved, that... That's why we're on the planet, right? That's why we're here. We're a product of this this morning, but we're also under the same assignment, the same responsibility, the same privilege to expand this gospel to every place, to every person. Now let me show you that example of faith. We see the expansion of the gospel. Look at the example of faith because this woman, she didn't only represent All the people that are out there. She represents a kind of faith that it's going to take for someone to embrace this gospel. And and listen, let me just tell you, we, we know that that's what this passage is about. We know it's where it's headed at least. By, by virtue of a number of things. Number one, just its placement here in Mark chapter seven, it comes right on the heel of earlier in the chapter, another story about the hardness of the heart of the Pharisees, as well as the, the, the blurred vision of the disciples themselves. And all of a sudden Jesus encounters this woman, this woman who is cursed and she's a, a pagan and she's inferior and she's hopeless and she's an outcast that displays faith That really hasn't been manifested in the New Testament up to this point. Yet not only its placement in this text right here. But this woman worships Jesus. It's obvious that she believes he's something. Listen to me now. Other than just a miracle worker. She needs a miracle and she wants a miracle. But the evidence in the text indicates that she saw him as more than that. How do we know? She falls at his feet to worship him up there in verse 25. She came and fell down. She, she prostrated herself before him, which certainly could be an expression of grief, but it was also an acknowledgement that the person, the object was higher than you are, was more important than you are. On top of that, she's gonna call him Lord. You see verse 28? She answers him and says, yes, Lord. So it's a name of deity. It was an acknowledgement of an otherworldliness. Of, of, of a divine being. But get this. Matthew says that she even calls him son of David. You know what that term is? It was a Jewish messianic term. In other words, it was a term the Jews used for their coming Messiah, son of David. This Gentile woman calls Jesus son of David. She refers to him in messianic terms. And then just the insight she shows into the gospel was something that was just off the charts. Now, let me tell you one more thing. Matthew tells us that when Jesus finally sends the woman home, says he's, she doesn't have a demon anymore, this is what he says to her. Woman, great is your, you want to guess? Faith. So, so this woman is, is an example of this faith. Now, now, let me get you to see it from three different standpoints. Number one, I want you to show you that the Messiah exposes it. Okay? This is what Jesus is doing in this conversation. He's exposing this faith because he wants his disciples to see it. And he wants us to see it. How does he do that? Well, this really awkward statement here in verse 27. She comes and begs him. She's got this demon-possessed daughter, and this is Jesus' result. Let the children be first, be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread to throw it to the dogs. Matthew helps us with the intensity of this conversation a little bit more. He says the lady was actually getting on the disciples' nerves because she was just seemingly badgering Jesus, so they came to Jesus and said, tell her to go away. You see, they didn't get it yet. (laughs) To tell her to go away. She's, you know, she's getting in our space here. She's an inconvenience, you know, to us. Tell her to go away. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus actually responds to that by saying, I've, I've only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So everything about this conversation is awkward. Everything about it seems to, to, to express an insensitivity. But, but, but let me tell you what we don't have the privilege of seeing. We don't have the the advantage of hearing the tone of Jesus' voice. As one Bible scholar says, maybe the twinkle in his eye, the cadence at which he said this, the playful spirit. Let me illustrate it to you like this. It'd be kind of like Papa here trying to get that little redheaded grandchild's uh, attention and and, and get some FaceTime with her. Sometimes she's distracted by other attentions there in our living room. and, And I might say something like, well... I guess there's no sweet little girl around who wants to crawl up in Papa's lap and watch some videos. Well, you see, I know two things. Number one, I know she's a sweet little girl. Number two, I know she loves to sit in Papa's lap and watch videos. But I say just the opposite. Why? Because I want to draw out of her what I know is in there. Listen to Jesus. Let the little children be fed first it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs see it wasn't uncommon for the Jews to actually refer to the Gentile as dogs this would have been commonplace but Jesus is not trying to affirm some derogatory term in fact he uses a different term for dog it would be more like a domesticated pet for us here in this, this text of scripture but he's, he's trying to draw out of her the faith that he knows is there. Why? Because he's got this audience of those 12 disciples that he wants to get it. He wants them to understand and he wants them to see what the gospel can do. And so the Messiah exposes her faith. Not only does the Messiah expose it, but the mother exhibits it. I mean, just look at the nature of her faith. And, and let me just say to you, I believe that this is the nature of authentic faith. For every person that says yes to Jesus, that trusts him. I mean, look at it. Her faith was submissive. In verse 25, we mentioned it already. She falls down at his feet and and she worships him. Her faith is desperate. In verse 26, she begs him. Language of the New Testament, this is an intense word. She pleaded with him. She approached him as as one that if he didn't help her, she was was toast. She, She didn't have any chance. And beloved, listen to me, come in here real close. This, this is part of the indication that faith in Jesus is different from the way the world defines faith. You know how the world defines faith, right? It's just if you believe something hard enough, it'll happen. So people just say, well, just have faith. Man, just keep believing. But listen, faith always has to have an object. You and I don't, we, we don't just have faith. We have faith in something. Or better said, we have faith in Someone. And you know what she's doing? She is zeroed in on this one that was the only one they could do anything for and she was desperate for him to do it. Authentic faith is always desperate for Jesus to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. Her faith was submissive. Her faith was desperate. Look at this in verse 28. Her faith was humble. You know, he says these very hard, awkward seemingly tense word and she responds and says yes lord yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs now let me show you something it's it's as important for us to pay attention to what she doesn't say here as it is for us to see what she does say. did you notice that this woman doesn't make any demands she, 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 doesn't, she, she, she doesn't say, I I think I ought to be sitting around the table. She doesn't say, hey, it, 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 it's my right. You, you guys have pushed us out for so long. It's my right to be the. She doesn't make any of those demands. She doesn't even demand to be a child. If I could just chase a little bit of a rabbit for a moment and say, American Christians, be careful. Be careful that you don't don't confuse your patriotism with your citizenship in the kingdom. And before I say another word, let me say to you, my son is a Navy SEAL. There's nobody in the room that's more patriotic than I am. But if we're not careful, our attitude about a bill of rights will get us in trouble. You know why? Because we convince ourselves that we're owed something. And have you ever thought about the fact that pretty much everything in the Christian life is not a claim of rights, it's a denial of rights. We die so we can live. We serve in order to lead. Husbands, we we love our wives like Christ loved the church. The whole marriage relationship is about giving up my rights for someone else. And this is where we miss it, because when we, when we, think, when we think we're owed it, we, 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 then we demand it and we live our lives from the posture, listen to me, of pride. We're owed this. And when Jesus gives us a picture of faith, of true faith, he gives us a picture of a woman that doesn't say, I ought to be sitting at the table. She doesn't say, I've been pushed aside for so long, I want my time. She doesn't even say, I ought to be a child. She just acknowledges what the order of the day was and says, I, I get it. I'm a dog. I'm on the outside looking in. But I, but I think this gospel you got, <laughs> I think there's something about you. I think what you bring, I think it's sufficient enough that if I could just get some of the crumbs, I'd be good to go. And beloved, that, that's the way it is with the gospel. <laughs> That's the way it is. But, but, but it has to be a faith that is humble, that says, I, I don't, I haven't earned this. I don't deserve it. But I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you even to give me a little of an overflow of it. Faith is humble. It's also persistent. I'm not at the camp here long, but, you know, <laughs> This woman just wouldn't take no for an answer, right? I mean, Jesus, who she knows is somebody, she, 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 she sees this messianic quality and character apparently, and he's just made this statement, let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread, throw it to the dogs. And at that point, a whole lot of people would say, well, I'm, I'm done with him. He's done with me, I'm done with him. Walk away, but not her. She comes back. She comes back with a persistence. It's kind of like the woman in Luke 18 that goes to the unrighteous judge. She just keeps hammering. She just keeps asking. She just can't. Finally, the guy gives in and says, okay. Jesus is just teaching about a persistence in prayer and the value of it. And this is here in this passage. It's about faith. This woman exhibits it. And listen to me, church. This faith is available to every person in every place. And God in his sovereignty has wired it in his economy so that the gospel is what bursts this faith and triggers this faith and brings it out. So that when you and I go and we speak the word of the gospel and we share it, this kind of faith is a reality. This woman exhibits it and finally the miracle endorses it. You know, you know. If you read the New Testament, you know that Jesus didn't always require faith to work miracles. Contrary to what we hear from a lot of the modern, quote, faith healers today. If you just have faith, if you just have faith, you'll get a miracle. Sometimes Jesus healed people even when they didn't have faith, right? A lot of times he did that. But a few times. A few times he did work a miracle, in order to call attention to somebody's faith. And that's what happens here. For this statement in verse 29, you may go your way. Matthew 15, because of your great faith, the demon has left your daughter and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now don't, don't, don't miss this. Jesus cast out a demon here that he's not in the presence of and he does never speak to. You know what he does? Jesus does what only God can do. He gives another verification of his divinity, but he does it, don't miss it. He does it in this situation in response to this woman's faith, because he wants to call his disciples' attention to the authenticity of it, that they might know. That when he leaves this planet and leaves them with the mantle of getting the gospel to every person, this is what's waiting on them. And it's what's waiting on us when we go across the street, when we go to the ends of the earth. We proclaim the gospel of Christ and God bursts in his grace this kind of faith in people that they might be saved. Now, let me remind you, as we close, let me remind you of a couple of quick things. Number one, be careful who you identify with in this passage. if you 're not careful, you will identify with the disciples we 're at a missions conference this guy 's preaching on getting the gospel to the nations we 're the ones that have it and and and, and 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 we need to take it to everybody else and certainly that 's true, but it 's not the first truth Our first identification is not with these disciples, brothers and sisters. Our first identification is with the Syrophoenician woman who has a demon-possessed daughter. People who are pagans, who are idol worshipers, who are outcasts, who are inferior. You see, we, most of us, if not all of us in the room, we're the Gentiles. And we're here today because somebody got out of their comfort zone. Somebody left home. Somebody moved away from family. Somebody stirred the pot, upset the apple cart in order to get the gospel to us. Ever how long ago it was, that's the way we got the gospel. And the reason that I want to I remind you about that is because, you know, I'm just not sure that the statistics will be enough to motivate us. 4.6 billion people unreached. 155,000 a day that die without Christ, half of those without ever hearing the gospel. That, That ought to stir our hearts, but I'm not sure it'll be enough to keep us going. But I'll tell you what will keep us going. And that is waking up every day, remembering we were on the outside looking in. We were dogs and God made us children. He brought us into the family. He came looking for us. He got out of the comfort zone In order to bring the gospel to us. And when we are gripped by that kind of gratitude and thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters, that's what will keep us going. Saying, I want to tell everybody about this. I want to get this to everybody I possibly can. No second class citizens in God's family. So if you're here and you know Christ today. Remember, you are on the outside looking in. And let's let that be what compels us. To get out of our comfort zones in order to get this gospel to every place and every person. If you've been overhearing this conversation today and you're here and you've never trusted Christ, hear this gospel today. Please hear this gospel. This gospel is for you. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, however you feel, I want you to see this woman and see yourself and I want you to see Jesus come looking for you. And the gospel, listen to me, has gotten to you on time today. It's gotten to you on time if you've heard this and you've been in this worship service. The gospel has gotten to you on time and we plead with you. Let today be your spiritual birthday. Right there in your seat or right where you're listening at home, in your heart, in your own words, acknowledge before God that you are a sinner. You're on the outside of his family looking in and that you acknowledge today that Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross and his resurrection is the only one that can do anything for you that needs to be done trust him today. In a moment I'm going to pray and after I pray our musicians are going to lead us we're going to stand and we're going to sing a, a song before we go home and, but that's an important song. It's a song of response. It's a song that's an opportunity for us to give physical expression to spiritual responses. Believers in Christ, some of us this morning may God by his grace may have brought to a, a new place of resolve. For across the street and maybe for some around the globe, overseas, I don't know, another part of this country, may not even know at this point, but you just know God is stirring you. And by his grace, you're going to say, amen. And I want to invite you, when we're singing in a moment, why don't you come and let this pastor know that. Even if you don't have all the questions answered, let him know your heart's stirring, and you want to explore that. Others of you choosing Christ for the first time today, or maybe, maybe you got questions about there. You're not quite there. I want to invite you to come. Leave your seat. Come down here. There'll be folks here that can answer your questions and get you connected to the right people to, 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 to take the next step of your spiritual journey. But by God's grace, let's honor him and worship him with a response that he prompts us to today. Let's pray together. Lord, in Jesus' name, we want to say thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for bringing it to us, pursuing us. And God, I I know I speak on behalf of these brothers and sisters in Christ, and I say thank you for trusting us with its expansion in this world. We go, Lord, knowing that creating faith is not our job. We can't do that, but you do it. You give us the privilege of speaking the word of the gospel and seeing it birthed and and seeing it brought out. Give us grace for that. Pray for friends and family members this morning that are trusting you for the first time or wrestling with trusting you for the first time. God, would you give them boldness and courage like they've never had before? That today may be the day that they become disciples of yours. In Jesus' name we pray.